welcome to Forever Young Adult, a podcast where I, Aoife, and I, Kira, discuss young adult fiction. And this month, we're discussing young adult fiction that is trans. It's pride. Changing. Ever changing. <laughs> it is pride month. And so I know you're like, listener, you're like, but they do pride books all the time. But this month we are specifically looking at books that have either trans authors or or feature characters who are trans. And we're really excited about it. And we've actually teamed up with a real life trans organization, which is the Small Trans Library Dublin. And they also have a sister, a sister group in Glasgow. And we're really excited to be working with them. They have been in existence for a couple of years now and they have over 200 books that you can borrow about LGBT matters and being trans and their their books are all either about trans issues or trans people or written by trans people it's a really great initiative they take on all the costs themselves so we will be putting donation links down below they will send you out a book and they pay for postage back and forth it's absolutely fantastic and since 2020 and the times we live in they have also been running uh they have also been running a welfare fund for trans people for small expenses predominantly but people have been getting their groceries people have been getting medical expenses in the last year they have just distributed in the last year they have distributed over 10,000 euro to trans people throughout Ireland and they also work with organizations in Nigeria to help trans people there so we're really excited to be working on this collab with them. Aoife got her book from them uh, that she's going to tell us about in a few minutes and the book that I am reading in two weeks time uh, I haven't actually received yet because I ordered it from uh, my local bookshop, Support Local. If you're not supporting trans people, support your local bookshop, but also support both. If you can um, find a local trans bookshop, that would also be amazing. <laughs> Let us know. And I will be donating my copy of the book to the library, which is another way that you can support them. If you don't, if you can't support them directly financially, you can also do, they have a wish list of books that they're looking for and you can help them with those as well uh, yeah I'm super super excited to be working with small trans library they're they do really cool work and like anyone involved in it I've talked to has really been cool as well you know my my partner's trans and they they moved to Ireland only recently enough and it's hard to feel connected to your community uh, and something like small trans library is a really nice way to feel connected to a queer community and a queer network, even when you can't go places and talk to people. So like, I was a bit aware of their work already, but then like Jamie's been able to get lots of books from them. And it was actually really funny when I was talking to the guy in Trans Library we were working with for this project. Um, he was like, what address do you want for, do you want me to send these books to you? And I gave him the address. And then my partner was also returning a book to them and was like, hey, will I return it now? And he was like, I mean, you can wait till Aoife's done with her books if you want. 
So just like, you know, a mainstream library, they're pretty chill about returns. Yeah, they are lovely. Their policy is that you can return the book when you're finished with it or you can keep it until someone else requests it. Mm -hmm. So that gives you quite a bit of leeway. Um, And again, they pay for postage both ways. So it really is a truly free service at the point of use, um, which I'm always, always in favor of. And it makes it even more important for those of us who can afford to throw a few coins to throw a few coins because there's lots of people in this world who really benefit from the work of Small Trans Library and can't throw them any coins at all. And I don't want to go into the stats, but uh, trans people are more likely to be in, in the poverty end. So like, we should be supporting them in any way that we can, both legally, uh, socially, financially every way and just make make our siblings lives easily easier that's just that's it uh just because of the person that I am that is how I do all my friendships though regardless of everything I'm just like hey you exist can I make that easier for you and they're like please stop being weird (laughs) A a thing that is coming to mind is about four years ago, I was having a really, really rough week and Kira and I were living in different cities briefly. So she ordered me an Indian takeaway to my house. <laughs> yes, I did. You, you weren't eating. <laughs> that's, that's fair. It's fair. <laughs> Eva, what book did you read? <laughs> I read Out of Salem by Hal Shreve. And it was really, really good. I mentioned at the end of the last pod that on the back it is described as the best teen zombie witchy werewolf fairy fantasy murder mystery you've ever read. Was that accurate? Yeah, I mean, they've thrown enough adjectives in there. (laughs) Um, The other thing, they don't even say queer in that descriptor. I think queer is implied by everything else that's in it. Um... But it's possibly the best queer murder mystery I've ever read. It's also not primarily a murder mystery. It's primarily a teen book um, and a queer teen book and a magical realism teen book. Okay. Um, it was written by... That's a lot of things for our book to be. It is. And that's without even going into zombie, witchy, werewolf, fairy, fantasy, murder, mystery. Whew. Oh my goodness. Um, it was published in 2018. But it is Mm -hmm. set in 1997 and it was written by Hal Shreve, um, who is a non-binary person herself. Here, bio on the back of the book is Hal Shreve grew up in Olympia, Washington and is competent at making risotto and setting up a tent. Z lives in Brooklyn, New York, and her poetry has appeared in Vetch magazine. This is her first novel. Um, And I struggle to find more than that. Um, I, I just love that most of that also describes me. Like I didn't grow up in Olympia, Washington, which I only know because of, um, like I know I didn't grow up there, but I know the place due to Twilight, but I'm like, I am also competent at making a risotto and putting up a tent. Look at, oh, yeah. Relatable Um, content. I, I did find your her website and Mm -hmm. there's like a slightly extended version of the bio there which includes like has never met a werewolf (laughs) has worked as like a babysitter a list of 20 jobs like happens when you're 
young and queer and trying to scrape things together in a city. I want to question has never met a werewolf because how does how does he know? It's a very good point. It's a very good like, point. That's that's a thing that I actually recently said. I say recently, like a year ago, I said to a coworker, they were like, well, I, I haven't met. I don't think I've ever met a trans person. And I was like, that you know of. You just, yeah. You just don't know that you met one. Hot. Yeah. I would say that I know that trans people exist, but that's because I've met some and like have read about them. So I've done neither. I have read about werewolves, actually. You're right. <laughs> Maybe yeah. here's um, met I mean, a werewolf. Just because someone, someone didn't Maybe tell you that they are that they are trans or a werewolf doesn't mean that they are not trans or a werewolf. You're going to love this book because that's a deep <laughs> allegory in this. Not necessarily trans specifically, but uh, the allegories of queerness and monstrousness are deep. Um, so and on purpose, I assume. On purpose, I assume as well. I want to describe the world to you and okay. then talk about our main characters Mm-hmm. Then talk about the allegory of it all. And then maybe tell you a bit about how the ending works. Because I don't want to like... Okay. It, it's weird. I don't want to spoil it. Um, But the whole... It's called Out of Salem. And mm-hmm. the whole... Running... Pl- I don't even want to say plot. The energy. The like running line of the book. Is these people are in a place where which is getting less and less safe for them constantly and Mm -hmm. the danger is rising and rising and they need to escape and they need to get out and it is a story of how they get out of there and okay so i might tell you how or i might not but i'm not (laughs) going to tell you the middle bit where things are getting more and more dangerous and like possibilities of safety keep falling down because that's spoilers and I think you can know something about how they manage it without knowing all of the twists and turns along the way perfect yeah I'm excited for this yeah so first of all the world like I said it is 1997 Mm -hmm. um we are in a small-ish town of Salem Oregon which is a real town that exists um, I looked it up in their most recent census. They have 155,000 people. Um, it was slightly less in 1997. Um, so it, it's a town. It's of moderate size. Our main characters are 14. Okay, book, that's on the young side. Yeah, the book opens uh, and we meet Z, who mm-hmm. I initially thought was called Z because it is just spelt as the letter, which mm-hmm. in... European English is pronounced Z, but in American English is pronounced Z. And I didn't make that connection until midway through the book when someone else met Z and was like, oh, how do you, what's that short for? And like, because this person doesn't know the name, when they were pronouncing it, it was spelled Z E E. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Sneak that pronunciation guide in there. Yeah. I, I love that. <laughs> But uh, Z is a zombie, but only very recently. Uh, Okay. Does Z stand for zombie or was Z always their name? 
Or was it their name pre-zombie? Yeah, Z chose the name Z. Um, Z is using the A-M pronouns. Z chose the name Z before they got zombified. Um, And it is never referred to in the text, the fact that they are a zombie called Z. But I imagine it must have been one of those things where the writer's shorthand takes a a life of its own. Uh, But it's also a very relatable non-binary thing, I think. I know a lot of non-binary people who, at least when they are, while they may not choose ultimately to have a name that is a letter, I think having a name that is a letter is very common for non-binary people, particularly when you're like at the stage where you don't necessarily want to be out to everyone, but you can get away with a nickname. Yeah, Um, that's fair. So Z is a zombie. No one's calling them Z. Um, But that's into the characters. First, I need to describe the world. Is it a secret that there's magical creatures or is that just like known throughout society? It is known throughout society that there's magical creatures around. Everyone can do magic. Everyone can do a little bit of magic. Not everyone's very magical, but everyone is slightly magical. And Mm -hmm. that's separate from magical creatures. Um, So while everyone can do magic... Uh, to a greater or lesser extent. Um, it used to be the case that everyone kind of, the thing that's coming to mind is like cookery. Like everyone would kind of have their own way of doing magic. Um, but it's been really standardized recently and people go to school and they learn like the proper spells and the Latin spells. We've got a character who's Muslim and her mother is Turkish. And mm-hmm. the mother uses all Arabic and Turkish spells. And that's like kind of frowned frowned upon because it's like uh, this world has like a real concern with policing power Mm -hmm. and by standardizing spells you're able to police what people can do um no one's coming up with new spells and if you say oh no you need to follow this summoning circle circle like ritual thing first um that's gonna that's going to slow people down and it's going to alienate them from their own power. Um, which our teens are worried a lot about because they're in school where they're just wasting their time doing sums that they don't see being any actual help with casting actual spells. Mm-hmm. Um, so necromancy is very illegal. Um, so, okay. I don't like that they are doing all this formalization of magic because to me magic shouldn't be formal just because that seems like the essence of magic Mm -hmm. but also necromancy seems dodgy yeah just as a concept as well there should there i feel like there needs to be a lot of rules around necromancy yeah um and the rules currently are that it's mega illegal well, we get we get hints that earlier in the world things were more liberal, mm-hmm. um, and this is under the Reagan administration in the U.S. So like Reagan's still there. Uh, so wait, AIDS is still there. Um, all these kind of historical elements are ref. So it's our universe, but with everyone has magic. Yeah, and everyone has magic hasn't like changed the course of history. I mean, it has a bit. So we get to see how it changes some of history. They mention Ireland and how Ireland's history is shaped by having magical creatures. So we have a character who is a widow. 
She's an older mm-hmm. woman and her name is Mrs. Dinnegan. And she got lesbian married in Ireland in the 1950s because her wife was a shapeshifter. And Ireland, when Ireland established the free state, they wanted to like re-embrace their Celtic heritage and therefore became much more accepting of monsters and creatures than a lot of other places in the West were. So, you know, like uh, shapeshifters, fairies, werewolves, selkies, those kind of people got rights. And one of the things that got slipped in under the radar was that shapeshifters, because they don't have a sex, can yeah. just marry whoever. Um, so Mrs. Dennegan is a old widowed lesbian. I I love that Ireland doesn't get taken over by the church in this version of yeah, history. I would and like to go there for that for that alone. New favorite book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so we've got that, um, and also it seems like the U.S. is much more conservative right now about monster rights than it used to be and other places in the world are less conservative like Reagan's really gone hammered down on it um part like werewolves need to be registered we don't ever really Mm -hmm. figure out how werewolves become werewolves it doesn't seem to be a biting or attack thing Virginia Woolf was a werewolf uh Ernest Hemingway was a werewolf um but there's a lot of prejudice against them like at one point their history teacher is saying, you know, uh, werewolves need to be controlled for their own good and it's submitted to electroshock therapy to control their transformations because they're very unstable. Uh, they've got too much power. They've got too much raw magical power and it draw- drives them insane. Um, mm-hmm. And one of our characters like puts up her hand and says like, what about Virginia Woolf and Ernest Hemingway? Those were both werewolves. And, you know, it, during the world wars they were like oh the wars are bad and later on we realized that the world's wars were bad like maybe werewolves aren't always crazy and sometimes they're insightful and the history teacher is like "Mm, yes they're the other kind of crazy werewolf the kind that takes their own life oh oh fun yeah so it's fun it's just a real a lot of prejudice (laughs) uh werewolves always take lives They, they it just depends on whether they'll take yours or their own yeah um so there's there's this underground now of like people who have these magical powers like it is fully so there's layers or levels of power i guess is how it's really controlled like werewolves are much more common like they're not Mm -hmm. common common but like in a big city you'd probably find a few werewolves um okay whereas like fey um seem to be like an umbrella term that applies to rarer creatures like people who are fairies or half fairies or selkies or shapeshifters and Mm -hmm. like shapeshifters are kind of allowed to live freely in america but like if you've got fairy blood you will be kept in like a silver lined room and observed for scientific study for your entire life um why because they're very very powerful they're made of raw magic and It's bad. Okay. Um, we do find out about a character who has that kind of power and is like that people keep a, is in hiding for for important reasons. Um, 
And then you've also got people who just happen to have more strong magic, but it's human magic. Um, one of the adults in this book is the seventh son of a seventh son. He's just a chemistry teacher, <laughs> but like... Um, seventh son of a seventh son, can they not like predict the future? Are they not seers? Or is it just powerful magic? In our world, people say seventh mm-hmm. son of a seventh son has seer powers, um, but also the myth changes locally in this they're just particularly powerful sorcerers okay um like everyone has some magical ability some people have more or less than others um this guy for example like a golem someone made an experimental golem and it broke out of their lab and like was terrorizing the city and mr weber just helped take them down because he just has magical power that's more like the police couldn't take him down. This guy just happens to have be more powerful than most people, but he's just still living a normal life. And because it's sort of human derived magic, mm-hmm. he doesn't get policed and controlled as much. Um, whereas a lot of this, a lot of this book is about people who are, you know, categorized Being as policed. monsters. Yeah, and like. Um, <sighs> Like, if you're a werewolf, you can either be a registered werewolf, it means you have to be submitted to electroshock therapy, which kills your magic and stops you from transforming. Okay. Or you can be an unregistered werewolf, which means you can travel freely. Because a lot of werewol- werewolves aren't allowed to travel between states either. It's like they want, they keep a track of you. Um, so mm-hmm. there's still, there's also unregistered werewolves who still go for illegal electroshock therapy to control their transformations and then it weakens or kills their magic but they're able to travel freely and live secretly and then you've got other werewolves who like resist electroshock therapy and transform and travel freely but it's like a very like anarchist homeless community of like a Mm -hmm. network of squats across america and they communicate through zines and that kind I, of thing. I, I'm seeing how I'm seeing how this ha- could have parallels to um being trans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's that's kind of the world. Is there any other setup you'd like? Are people totally chill with the various treatments of different magical creatures, or are they like, uh, this seems dodge? Well, for the most part, in this town, fascism's on the rise. There's a real reactionary um, movement, like the kids in school bully a certain kid because he has, well, for one, he's gender nonconforming and for the other, he has long hair and he like plaits feathers and shit into it. And mm-hmm. so they're like, oh, you're a fairy. Oh, can you fly fairy? And like throws him off buildings and stuff. Oh my God. <laughs> Do not throw rash. people off buildings and stuff. Yeah. So there's that. And like, the kid who spearheads that, uh, but the kid who's like the head of that in the school, his dad is like running for police commissioner. And like at one point, Asel, our other main character, beats mm-hmm. the shit out of this kid. <laughs> um, nice. Because uh, he's like, you're just a big fucking hairy lesbian. And she's like, I am. And beats the shit out of him. But like the gym teacher walks in. Uh, so she gets sent to the principal's office and the principal's like, I'm sure that was a misunderstanding. And she's like, no, I did it because he was bullying this other kid and that's not okay. And then he said some shit about me. So I did it. 
And like the principal's like, I'm sure you're not accusing this very good child of doing shit like that. I'm sure it was all a misunderstanding and you can get back to class. Yes. And Ace was like, fine, okay. I have so many feelings about schools that do selective bullying mm-hmm. pro- procedures mm-hmm. schools that do selective bullying procedures just because hmm, it's bad people who have power should not get thought at a young age that it means that they can do whatever they want no uh, because it means to, it leads to adults with a lot of power discovering that like knowing that they can do whatever they want because they've been able to do whatever they want all their lives when they were useless children um and that's my two cents on that. That's a good point that you bring up because actually personal responsibility in situations like this is a massive through line of this book. Because, you know, you get that principal who chooses to excuse the child who is being a bully just because the parent has power. Then you also get like, you get adults like Mrs. Dinnigan and Mr. Weber who see children dealing with stuff that they can't really help with. They can't like save these kids, but they can do something to help. And it's about Mm -hmm. choosing to do something to help is more important than not. I, yeah, always making the choice to do something is always more powerful than doing nothing for ease. Yeah. Um, and we get characters like wondering that out loud. Um, this is actually Mr. Weber again. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go deep into it, but like clearly our character, our main characters are in a bit of trouble, um, and like they, they go to him because he's chill and they know that he's got lots of power and he might be able to help them. And he like has a little bit of a panic of being like, fuck. I always thought, you know, if I was in a situation like this, I would make the right choice. And I am making the right choice. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to help you. But holy fuck, this is scary. This is really scary. God damn it. It, like, okay. So I literally just said doing something is better than doing nothing. But also it is hard and difficult to do something at times. And it does take some courage. Like, you, you know that doing the right thing, helping someone may mean that you later need extra help because you're going to get negative repercussions from it as well and endangered. Finally, like nearly 30 minutes in, I'm going to talk to you about our protagonists. Um, I mentioned them briefly earlier. They are Z and Aisel. Z is 14. We meet Mm -hmm. them during their family's funeral, the funeral for their entire family. Because Z's parents and two sisters and them were in a car and that car crashed and everyone died and then Z came back to life. Okay, so zombieism is like an innate thing in you? No. Okay. So like I said, necromancy is heavily policed um, and controlled and... Mrs. Dunnigan owns a bookshop. So at a certain point when like Z has questions about like being undead, she's like, I wish mm-hmm. it was the seventies and I could just pull you some books from the back room. But like, 
those things are so strictly controlled right now, I have no access to them. So what turns out happened was Z's mother, without having access to proper resources or information, had placed a family protection spell on all three of her children. And that spell meant that if one of the kids died, they could be resurrected as a zombie, siphoning off the mother's magic. Mm -hmm. But she did it badly because she didn't have access to proper information or resources. So it didn't take on the other two kids. Like their bodies were just more damaged or something. Okay. Um, And Z survived. But it's a really leaky, bad job of a of a necromancy spell because sometimes if you do it right it this person just looks like a an alive person walking around but zombieism comes in when it's a bad spell and you don't have enough power and the person is slowly rotting oh no yeah it's a oh, bad no. time i forgot about the slowly rotting aspect of zombieism yeah um and oh. and as soon as these undead they're essentially not a person um they're they need to have a caretaker not because they're a child but because they're a zombie and every undead person needs to have like someone who's responsible for them someone who will make sure they're not going rabid and who if they go rabid will report that to the authorities so they can be put down z is initially placed with their uncle hugh who is like their dad's brother and Mm -hmm. at the funeral z's eye falls out Oh, gross. Oh, and gross. Uncle okay. Hugh, like, is very furious and, like, pulls them by the arm out into, like, the church um, hallway and starts yelling at them and shaking them and saying, like, you can't do this. Like, uh, you're bringing such shame upon us. Um, do you have any idea how in danger I feel living with you all the time? I think you're going to go rabid and kill me. And this is the point where Mrs. Dinnigan, like, an elderly lesbian who knew Z's mom, is like, is there a problem here? Z, are you happy living with this person? No? Okay. Come on. Come live with me. I will be your guardian and report your decayingness if needed. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. I am glad that she gets a good foster parent, though. It's very good. It's very good. Um, Poor Mrs. Dinnegan is, like, again, one of those people who's doing what she can with what she has. But unfortunately, she's, like, very old <laughs> She's got a bookshop to run in this town and it's a radical bookshop, but things are getting more and more conservative. Um, She's got her own issues that I'm not going to go into because they're spoilery. Um, But yes, Z shortly begins to live with Mrs. Dinnigan and Antonia, Isadora, Angelina, Marceline, Millicent, Carlos and Pamela, who are the cats. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I was going to be like, there's a lot of people living in this. In this uh, two-bed apartment. <laughs> two-bed apartment over a bookshop, I assume. Yeah. And like, oh, well, maybe she's real old, but like, at least she has a lot of help. No, 20 <laughs> no. cats. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. So Mrs. Dinnigan's like trying her best to take care of Z, and she's kind of trying to remember shit that she used to know about undead people. Um, and so like... Z's like, oh, well, I don't get hungry. I don't want to eat anymore. And Mrs. Dinnigan's like, no, your body is maintained by a transfiguration spell and it needs biological matter to continue to maintain you. If you, you might go rabid and start craving organs if you don't maintain it properly. Um, 
because as the spell degrades, it's less able to transfigure things. And that's why zombies start hungering for human flesh because it needs to replenish its human flesh. So she's like, you will eat my steak and kidney pie and you will eat the smoothies I prepare for you. And you will eat them on a regimented schedule with alarms because yeah. you don't feel hunger. So you gotta. Yeah. Um, so she's trying her best, but she doesn't remember stuff. And she's old, like at three or four different times during the book, she's just like in bed with a cold for two days or like she'll tell Z like, hey, make sure you bring the lunch I packed you. And Z's like, yeah, and then doesn't. Because they're not hungry. Bring the lunch. You know the reason you're not hungry. Yeah. Also, food is a way of showing care and love. So eat the lunch. Yeah. I say as a person who shows care and love via food. <laughs> Ordered me an Indian takeaway across the country. Yeah. Uh, so Z like goes back to school and is hanging out with their friends. But they can't really remember why they were friends with these people, which is a very 14 year old who's taken a week off school thing. They're just very rude. Like a uh, new girl has moved to school and introduces herself. And Z's like, hi, I'm Z. And this girl's like, oh, I thought you were dead name. And like Z's best friend is like, yeah, she keeps trying to make everyone call her Z. It's such a stupid thing. You don't need to call her Z. Don't worry about it. And the new girl's like, I'll call her Z if she wants to. But uh, their name is Z. Yeah. Call them Z. And Z's out <sighs> here literally saying, yeah, I mean, like dead name is such a girly name. Um, and I'm just, you know, I don't feel very girly, so I'd prefer something neutral. The very opening scene of this book is Z mm -hmm. reading out a printout that they printed in the library of a gender quiz they took. I love them yeah. so much. I love them. I want them. I know they're having a hard time. I want them to have everything good. Spoiler, do, do, they, do they end on a happy note? Our protagonists survive. Okay, that's enough, I guess. And so Z's gone back to school. Um, they have to be registered with the school as undead. And technically the school isn't allowed to tell the students that they're undead. But that same shithead teacher who talked about how Ernest Hemingway killed himself decides mm -hmm. that today's history lesson will be about the undead uprisings. Just so you guys know. And dead name, can you read this bit? So everyone kind of starts knowing and everyone starts like um, ostracizing them. Yeah. And here is where we meet Aisle. Yay, Aisle. Aisle is also 14. She is mm -hmm. secret werewolf. Um, she's okay. Muslim. Her mother is, like I said, Turkish. Um, when Aisle became a werewolf, we don't know how, we don't know when, uh, her dad was like, okay, we need to register her and put her in a, uh, you know, register for her shocks and stuff. And the mother was like, I'm divorcing you right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you want to torture our child. Yeah. Uh, Aisle's got like, um, she's basically been sort of on the run with her mom for years now. Not like on the mm -hmm. run, on the run. Cause like they keep it on the down low. Her mom's a lawyer. Uh, she's got a reasonably good income, but she's like tired all the time. Um, they live in reasonably large cities. If 
things seem to be getting more dangerous for werewolves there or someone starts reporting something, they move and they've yep. been safe so far. Um, Aisle's fat, which is kind of important to her because she gets bullied a lot for being like a troll and an elephant and, you know, a big, scary lesbian or whatever. Um, but never mm-hmm. as badly as people who are perceived as monsters are. Okay. When Z starts getting like ostracized. She has a, she has bullying privilege. Sort of. Yeah. So when Z starts Amazing. getting ostracized, like people who usually would be really catty to Aisle is like, hey, just letting you know, we all think that dead name is actually like a zombie. So like watch yourself, um, which immediately makes Aisle, who is an angry teenage lesbian, be like, fuck you. This is my best friend now. <laughs> I heard you were bullying someone. I better go make them my best friend. Uh, and how they actually mean is, you know, Z's rotting more than they would like. Yeah. It's because they didn't bring their lunch. The guy who works with the city and investigates curses um, when mm-hmm. they were registering as undead, like examines the seal on them. And it's like, oh, I think you'll you'll probably last two years. Maybe it's not a very good spell. Which is a horrifying thing to hear when you're 14. This is true. Um, and Mrs. Dunnigan's like, I'm sorry, I can't help you very much. Let's try figure out ways to help you. And Z decides to go to Mr. Weber, this science teacher, um, because he's got a degree in like, I think he might even have a degree in like something necromancy related. Um, and so he might have access to texts. And he is immediately like, Z, this is Aisle. I think you guys should chat. <laughs> he, he also oh. knows that she's a secret werewolf. Because he's all powerful and all knowing, smart teacher. He noticed the signs and like a year ago took Aisle aside slightly and was like, not going to out you, not going to report you. Just want you to know if you need any support, I'm here. Oh, okay. He's my favorite teacher. Like everything you've told me about him just... I like him. He's, he's really good, nice. He's a good. He's a good grown up. Yeah, he's a mi- he's a very minor character. Um, but this is the thing. This book really skips a lot of the things that happen in YA where there's no good grown ups. Because we've got, mm-hmm. like, I've told you about two good grown ups so far, and there are others. And the problem is just that being a good grown up doesn't always mean you've got the power to help teens the way they need. Um, particularly if you're living under a regressive state where the identities of these teens are heavily policed and they don't, you, you physically don't have resources. I'm going to read you out like sort of Aisle and Z's first interaction. Mm-hmm. So Z comes to the classroom, wants to talk to Mr. Weber. Uh, Aisle just finished up retaking a test she'd missed the week before. And Mr. Weber's like, I can't talk about this here. Let's walk to my car. I need you guys to help me carry this like lizard's tank. And then, hey, said Aisle. Um, hey, uh, dead name. I, I mean, Z, uh, what name do you want me to call you? Please call me Z, they said, mustering a firm tone of voice. Okay, and uh, while, while I'm at it, sorry, actually, what does it mean that you're not a girl? I heard you telling Mr. Weber. I'm just not a girl, Z said. Yes, you are, Aisle said, though she sounded hesitant. 
Maybe I was born looking like one, but I'm not. I'm like in between a boy and a girl. I'm androgen. I'm transgender. I'm genderqueer. The word felt funny in their mouth, not pretty like it did when they were looking at it on the screen of a computer. Oh, said Aesol. Zed was not sure Aesol understood at all. Her face was scrunched up. Do you know what that means? It's like someone who's outside of men and women. Someone else. Yes, said Aesol defensively. I mean, I know about people who are transsexual. Right. I'm not quite transsexual. Transgender. Like gay? Aesol said hopefully. It's neurological. I did a test online. I'm almost transsexual, but I'm not. I'm like right in the middle. There's a lot of people like it. Oh, well, well, yeah, I know about that. I know there are lesbians who dress like boys, Aesol shrugged, and like gay men who dress like women. I relate to that. <sighs> it's a whole thing where you're not a boy or a girl, even if you dress like a boy or a girl. Lots of societies in history had them. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. There've always been people like this, like, uh, who go by new names and live weird lives. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> where Aesol's like, I want to be your friend. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm gay. I know gay stuff, right? It's gay stuff. I I love how they were like, okay, I don't get it. I don't get it. Okay, okay. You've explained it and I still don't get it. But I've now switched from being like, no, you're wrong to, okay, you're right. I don't get it, but you're right. And please, please actually stop explaining it because it's making me feel stupid. No, I re- I'm on your side. Yeah. I get it. I don't get it, but I want you to know that I love you yep. be my friend please yeah <laughs> um love her it's also super fun because somehow throughout that conversation Z fails to pick up on the fact that Aesol's gay so later <laughs> on they're like listening to some Turkish punk music that Aesol has from like a cousin sent it to her or something mm-hmm. I think Aesol says like oh I've got such a crush on the lead singer and Z's like you you mean like you think the band's good or like you think you're or you're gay and Aesol's like I'm gay and I think the band's good but both are true yeah Aesol's uses Z's name and their pronouns and Z's like you don't need to do me any favors and Aesol's like no like in Turkish there's no gendered pronouns so like this is so easy and Z's like hmm okay you're being friendly to me and I'm suspicious due to past experiences. <laughs> I wonder why some people have trauma and how that affects their friendships going forward. I just wonder. So, so weird. There's a really good line in this book. Um, so Z has a pen pal at the start of the book um, whose name is Tra- Chad and he is a trans guy and they met on like a trans forum and they sent a few letters back and forth and they meet Chad in real life. Like they talk a little bit about like um, some music they were talking about. Um, and then Z's like, but I had to leave my tape deck and stuff when I left my uncle's. Oh, I, I thought you lived with your parents. They died, Z said. Shit, Chad said. Stuff happens. It's not a big deal. Yeah, it is. Stuff happens and then you get weird forever, Chad said. Oh man, the accuracy of that is like too much. Stuff happens and then you get weird forever is the most powerful line I've ever heard. Yeah. Stuff happens and then you get weird. Yeah. Yeah. Trauma affects your brain and then 
you have weird pathways for the rest of your life and it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what like you have to like it does matter you can change those pathways but you have to make like absolute conscious choice to do so you didn't make a conscious choice to get traumatized but you have to make a conscious choice to be like not actively working through those traumatized pathways and you need to be in a safe space to do that this is true so that's our characters the main thing of the plot is that and after this we'll get into the allegory of it all uh therapist gets killed gets murdered in this town and after he's died someone looks through his stuff and finds out he's been doing illegal electroshock therapy on undercover werewolves um so immediately people are like there is a wild werewolf in our town and they are attacking people and so the, if if they're wild they must be attacking yeah um and meanwhile uh z is looking for some resources so that they can stop rotting um, so their teacher helps them try steal some necromancy books from the library, but the books are already gone and they accidentally trip an alarm and the teacher gets arrested and they don't get the books. Um, and then immediately people are like, oh my God, there is illegal werewolf terrorists just murdering people and stealing necromancy books. Oh shit. And there's like more and more of a police presence and people are cracking down on uh unregistered werewolves and unregistered werewolves are under more and more surveillance um and the it's just these teens trying to deal with that they're just trying to survive they're just trying to have a safe space to transform once a month and get some knowledge so that their body can stop rotting around them and they don't they they have to deal with that under like an increasingly uh regressive um and in fact like fascist state that gets real fascist out there um and we've got characters like mrs dunnigan and mr weber who are adults trying to help we also have characters like chad and elaine who are like 19 and 20 and still trying to help but like also undercover and on the run and not able to help super much um and that's essentially the plot um Mm -hmm. and i might tell you about the ending but i think now it might be cool to talk about the allegories at play here tell me about the allegories i love a good allegory i mean you know the allegories already kira Um, (laughs) all right tell the listeners about the allegories (laughs) so a lot of this is about being queer um it is also Mm -hmm. about every experience of oppression you could really think of and the thing I really appreciated about this book was like you know you'll get books where um they say oh you know witches are an allegory for you know Jewish people or like being a werewolf is an allegory for being queer but they also don't have those identities in it whereas this book has like explicitly non-binary people it is people of color it has gay people it has jewish people and they're also supernatural creatures or whatever um so like at the same time as they talk about their oppression as being monsters like there's also um their oppression for being minority groups yeah i'm trying to remember what the context happens but there is a time when asel uh tells Z a story about how her mom was dating someone 
who was like, mm-hmm. oh, you're not like other Muslim women. You're so smart or something like that. And like she immediately dumped him. But it's like, good. we even get to talk about how you get this model minority myth. Um, and it's tricky. Um, I think Aesol's werewolfness is obviously, mm-hmm. it's also a metaphor for queerness. Because, you know, the vast majority of people um, who have this identity are like subject to therapies they don't want. They want to be registered. Um, people want to control their bodies and control their movement and in a way Aesol's really privileged like when she meets all these other werewolves they're like oh my god you're 14 and you're still in school you started transforming and your parents didn't immediately kick you out oh my god and everyone's like hey get a load of this puppy this puppy's still in school <laughs> I love that they say puppy like it it makes it makes such a difference to have a fa- have family support regardless of like anything that you have going on. Family support makes such a massive difference. And I think from what you're telling me, Ansel's story really like highlights that. Yeah. Um, I know you said that like HIV exists in this universe, but it kind of sounds a little bit like that. But it also sounds like being trans, like an allegory for both to me, like People who are trans can be subjected to electric shock therapy in order to make them untrans yep. in some way. Um, and it's really horrific. It's also um, a metaphor for being an illegal immigrant. Yeah, register, getting registered. For being an addict, for being a person who's committed a crime. Um you know, if you've committed like a federal crime in the US, your your ability to travel is severely restricted. Um, but the privilege Aesol has also makes her friends resent her sometimes. There's a mm-hmm. bit towards the end where Z is get has an outburst and is like, how dare you um, think you're in this with us? Like you can, we're just a fun footnote in your werewolf suburban drama you can go home at any time I can't go home I don't have a home anymore um we just give you a chance to set things on fire and lie to your mam like and that's attention where um Z in that moment is like you're not like all the other werewolves who are at risk of you know immediate incarceration and like medical abuse um and Aesol's like, I am, because I'm still a werewolf. I'm just a werewolf with a mam who looks out for me, which is something, but it doesn't stop me from being a werewolf. Yeah. Um, that is difficult. Like, I'm just trying to think. And yeah, sometimes you just have more privilege within your unprivileged grouping. Mm-hmm. It's like that simple. Yeah. And sometimes it is difficult for people who have less to to be like it's the same it's the same fight it's mm-hmm. the same fight mm-hmm. and people who don't have to think about this at all want us mm-hmm. to do all this infighting mm-hmm. that's the problem they want us to do infighting so that we fight each other instead of fighting the thing that is actually making us unprivileged yeah there we go yeah and that makes our communities weaker it's it's similar to what we were talking about last episode when we were talking about shaming online um mm-hmm. and i think 
in that we we focused a lot on shaming people for things that were genuinely bad because I think when thi- when it's a genuinely bad thing it's easier to lash out but the thing is people also shame other people for things that they can't control <laughs> um yeah like I get the resentment as someone who grew up as a poor kid it's so easy to be angry and resentful of rich people and people who've got privilege and who've never stopped to consider how their lives are easier than mine because of their wealth but at the end of the day it's not their fault they were born rich the same as it wasn't my fault I was born poor like like unfortunately yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna read out a conversation Asel has with like the first werewolf she like meets who isn't her. I don't know any other werewolves, Asel says apologetically. Well, for most of us, it's like a little hospital, a touch of juvie, and then more hospital until your brain turns black and your magic curls up inside your muscles and die. Um, I ran away before I was old enough to get shocked more than twice a year, and even my magic got pretty messed up. It's like having magic arthritis and a bunch of pain problems. Oh, in in newspapers, you only hear about electroshock helping people. Yeah, well, it doesn't help. Or like, eventually it makes you stop transforming, but your body hates you and you go crazy. I almost joined a cult for a second in 1992. Then I squatted in this house for four years with some anarchists until they got super into drugs. And I was like, oh, wait, this place is gross. Oh, Hazel says. Yeah, we got diseases, you know. We're all little scummy babies running around and they want to shock us till we turn into regular babies. But we aren't regular. Asel nodded. My dad wanted to get me shock treatment. My mom divorced him. Tell your mom she's super cool for not registering you. And then it goes on to, Asel had never met someone angrier than herself. <laughs> um, and yeah, this, this person she's talking to, Elaine, just like is a homeless backpacker who lives in the woods. I think the final thing I got to say on the allegory is that it it, it goes into the ending as well. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, Z is rotting. Um, yep. They eventually get access to those necromancy texts and they perform a new spell to bind themselves to the power of Aesol and another friend. So it, like it exists on top of the old one and like now they're not mm-hmm. drawing on their the kind of depleting well of their dead mother's magic, which will run out in two years. Um, but they're drawing on live magic and also, you know, werewolves are more powerful than most other people. And so is this other friend. Um, so they're good. Uh, they keep getting healthier looking. I think like two days after they cast this spell, Z comes into school and Aesol thinks that they look like a pretty corpse. Like the one that has been oh. dressed up nice uh, at a funeral home instead of one that's like got its nose collapsing in on itself. Gross, okay. Yeah. Um, so it's very gross. Um, but yeah, Z gets to survive through relying on their friends. There's a really good quote early in the book um, where mm-hmm. Z's talking to Mrs. Dinnigan. Because Mrs. Dunnigan is 70. She has lived through it all. Um, I want to see if I can find the thing that she says. About it all? About it all, yeah. About just like, this is why they oppress you. Because God, it must suck to be old and tired and have seen it all and want to defend these kids but not have the power or ability. 
Mrs. Dunnigan held Z's hand. People often ask about shapeshifters and fays and werewolves and all, trying to figure out where their allegiance is. Cassie could have shifted into any body, but she chose to be a woman, to be a lesbian. She just liked it that way. There are other shapeshifters who choose to live in many bodies, though it's true, true that that makes people afraid of them. Like how people are scared of my body now. You're defying death. It frightens people who believe in death. People are worried that there will be a time when shapeshifters and fae overtake humans, overtake women and men and make the world shifting and formless, when things like life and death will stop meaning anything. Z closed their eyes. I kind of wish that would happen. Hmm. So like, people fear things that fail to fit into their little categories. Um... Do you want to know what happens at the very end of the book? No. No. I don't want to know because I might read it. And I want all our listeners to maybe read it too. So we all got to read it to find out what happens mm. or get a really good review online. It's really good. Um, I know not everyone likes it, um, but I think it makes an important philosophical point and if if you're if you're listening to this now and you haven't read the book, if you come back and listen to me saying this later, you'll understand what I mean. In another version of this book, it could have ended earlier, and then mm-hmm. things could have ended less strangely. But because of the way the narrative just keeps going and going and going, they reach a point where this is basically the only possibility. And okay. I think the power that they draw on makes a lot of sense. Um, Particularly like this conversation is foreshadowing. I'm not going to say how and what, but it is foreshadowing. And this whole book is a metaphor for how people who don't fit into binaries and don't fit into neat categorizations get absolutely brutalized by our society and how by relying on each other and on yourselves, you can create other worlds which are safe, but those worlds are always mm-hmm. going to be at risk while there are other forces that don't want you to exist. Is there a sequel to this book? Not yet. Danny, my housemate, read it. And mm-hmm. they at the end were like, oh, I thought the twist was weird. And I'm like, oh, you're so much setting up for a sequel. I'm like, I don't think they are. Like, I don't think, I don't think Hal Shreve is planning on writing another of this. I haven't seen anything about it. I think it's just... Sometimes life isn't neat. Um, yeah, the end of the book had to be a dramatic change. And that doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean it's setting up its sequel. It kind of is more setting up the fact that life goes on after weird shit. <laughs> that makes sense. I always found, and I'm going to talk about a different book and a different author in childhood. Do you know Jacqueline Wilson's books? Yeah. They were always talking about really everyday, regular issues. And like, and I always found that like the problem would be solved. The issue that like 
that was telling this that the book was telling would be somehow solved or resolved in some way and then she would go on for another 20 pages Mm -hmm. and I'd be like but I want to know that story I want to know more like because the characters lives didn't finish just because the issue of the book was resolved their characters lives continued on Mm -hmm. and I always found that like such an interesting choice that she made and it wasn't like she made it once every single one of her books had this and I was always like but there's a new problem. There's a new thing. I want to know more about what's happening in this character's lives ongoing. And it sounds like perhaps that's what this book has done. Yeah. And like it does, it's it's a, it creates a whole new world in the last like, maybe the last 40 pages. But yeah, if to extend the allegory, the story of this book is the fact that you've got to rely on other oppressed and marginalized people to survive in this world um and sometimes you will hurt people everyone hurts people uh you don't always know the words to understand another person's experience right away but you've got to have compassion you've got to be careful and you've got to try not to hurt people and uh that's how we survive (laughs) how we get out of salem to really extend the metaphor (sighs) That's how we do it. Mm-hmm. That's how we do it. Okay. Um, thank you, Aoife, for telling me all about Get Out of Salem. Or Out of Salem. Mm-hmm. My apologies. And if you have any thoughts, the listener, about what we read this week, uh, please let us know on Twitter at ForeverYAPod or um, take a look at our Instagram where we've been posting. We might post some of the quotes from the book. Um, just... Do some stuff, let us know, message us there. People can message us anywhere, honestly. We'll pick them up and we'll be like, oh, happy, happy, happy. But on Instagram, it's uh, Forever YA Podcast. And we also are setting up, um, we're still in the process of moving all of our stuff from Goodreads over to library things. Uh, But you can go on there and take a look at all of the books that we've previously read and at the books that we're planning to read we generally have them just like a month in advance sometimes we don't because sometimes we make last minute picks yeah we're organized um but it was really glad really great to hear about this book Aoife Mm -hmm. and please do support both us at our patreon forever YA pod and us the Small the trans small library. trans library for which we will have links in the doobly-doo and also we'll link to their twitter account which has information about how you can support them i believe they have a kofi yeah uh straightforwardly anyway smalltranslibrary.org will bring you to small trans library yeah. like kira said they have a glasgow mm-hmm. and a dublin branch and i think you can fund or donate individually to each of those um and they've all got twitters and all but if you go to that website that will give you info um and keep an eye on our patreon we're going to start posting more updates on there you don't need to be a patron patron to access those updates um it's just a handy way for us to keep things all in one place without going to the effort of making a website which nevertheless i don't i don't think we have the acumen nor the money to do so um happy pride everyone and take care of yourselves and each other out there we will be back in two weeks when kira will be reading where i'll be reading between perfect and real by ray stove great ray stove i have no idea i'm it's like steve but with an o and that's what's catching me stove is a word
dope as a word. This is true. Um, I look forward to hearing it. Um, I really feel I haven't gotten to tell you everything I wish I could have told you about this book, but that's because it is a 400 plus page book. Um, <laughs> so like go buy it, go access it from your library. If your library doesn't have it, go request it from your library. Maybe ask your local small trans library about it. We'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye. music has happened and you're still here i think you want to follow us on twitter yeah you can find us there at forever ya pod and on instagram at forever ya pod you can also email us at forever ya pod and if you really really like what you're hearing you can contribute to our patreon which you can find at forever ya pod also don't forget to like and subscribe also if you are listening on itunes please leave us a review we love you talk to you in two weeks Bye.